The Baltimore Orioles have won another series. Make it five series victories in a row for the O's as they beat the Cleveland Guardians on Thursday night. Plus, the O's added a couple players to the active roster in D.L. Hall and Jesus Aguilar as rosters expanded. And Grayson Rodriguez made his first rehab start back. Maybe he will be added to the roster soon as well. But we'll get to all that coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, September 2nd, 2022. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to start by recapping another Orioles win. O's 3 and Guardian 0 on Thursday evening in Cleveland as the O's clinch the series, taking the rubber game 2 out of 3. I'll get you the five things you need to know from that Orioles win. Then we'll talk about the O's roster moves from Thursday. As rosters expanded plus 2 players to 28 guys, you could add a pitcher and a hitter. And the Orioles added D.L. Hall and Jesus Aguilar. We'll talk about those two additions, plus why they had to DFA Richie Martin to get it done. And then Grayson Rodriguez made his first rehab start back from his lat injury in Aberdeen on Thursday night. I was in the ballpark to see Grayson pitch. And I'll talk about what I saw from Rodriguez and when we could see him on the field in Baltimore. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just did want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. We got new episodes out five days a week, Monday through Friday, everywhere you listen, and right here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe to the page to get all this O's content. We are in the month of September. The Orioles are a game and a half out of a playoff spot. You do not want to miss the Orioles coverage right here on Locked on Orioles. And again, we thank you for making the pod your first listen of the day. For your first listen today, let's start with an Orioles victory. O's 3, Guardian 0, the final score on Thursday in Cleveland as the O's take the rubber match. With the win, they get to 69-61 and 61 on the season. Really wasn't a lot of other wildcard teams in play on Thursday. Seattle got a win over the Tigers. And I guess if you count the White Sox still in it, they did beat the Royals on Thursday. But everybody else pretty much was off. So the Orioles do gain a half game on the Blue Jays. Now just a game and a half back of Toronto for the final wildcard spot heading into play on Friday. And the O's get their fifth consecutive series victory. And I'll get you the five things you need to know from the 3-0 Orioles win that got them to 69 wins on the season. They're now 69 and 61 on the year. And the first thing you need to know from this one is that the O's really won this game because they jumped out quickly in the first inning as quick as they possibly could have against one of the best starters in the American League, Cleveland right-hander Shane Bieber. And when I say quickly, I mean quickly. The first pitch of the game. Cedric Mullins gets a fastball in the inner half. He turns it around, hits it down the line for a solo home run. His 15th career leadoff homer. Mullins, not like he completely crushed it, just 97 miles per hour off the bat, 377 feet for the solo homer. But it worked and immediately put the O's on top and gave him a 1-0 lead. But they were not done in that first inning after Adley Rutschman hit a ball 106, got unlucky on a lineout, 
Anthony Santander, where he takes a first pitch and he absolutely crushes it into right field for a solo home run of his own. That one was a no-doubter. 109.2 miles an hour off the bat, traveled 398 feet for a team-high 24th homer of the year for Anthony Santander. Ramon Arias worked a walk in the inning as well. They kind of put pressure on Shane Bieber immediately, and that was big against, you know, Cleveland's ace. The O's went right at him and got themselves a lead that obviously they would not give up in this one. Second thing you need to know is that, well, all three of the O's runs came on solo homers. The other one coming from Ryan Mountcastle in the fourth inning, and Mountcastle is continuing to round into form. We've talked about Mountcastle on each of these three episodes, recapping these three games in Cleveland, because his swings are looking better and better. And Mountcastle, again, only had one hit in the Thursday game, one for four with a strikeout, but that one hit was a solo home run in the fourth inning off of Bieber. Just clobbered a ball over the big wall in left, 105 off the bat, 379 feet for Mountcastle's 19th home run of the season. And again, his swings continue to be better. He continues to hit the ball hard. And for Ryan Mountcastle, it was his only hard hit ball of the day, and he did strike out for the first time all series. But the swings are looking better. The approach is looking better. He's slightly and slowly turning back into the player that we know Ryan Mountcastle could be last year and earlier this year as well. And got that home run out of the seventh spot, which was big for the O's today. Third thing you need to know from this one is that, well, Gunnar Henderson didn't homer, but he certainly continued to show off in this game. After hitting sixth and playing third base and homering in his two-hit debut on Wednesday, Gunnar Henderson gets a bump up. He moves up to fifth in the lineup. He got the start at shortstop with Jorge Mateo getting the day off. And, well, Henderson just did some Gunnar Henderson things. Now, he did only have one hit. That was a ninth-inning single. Ended up with a one-for-four and a strikeout, but he still did some pretty incredible things. In that ninth inning, after the single, came up with his first career stolen base. And Henderson made two pretty unreal defensive plays at shortstop. One of them in the fourth inning, fielding a short hop, taking the ball to the bag himself, and then turning his own 6-3 double play to thwart the Cleveland offense in the fourth. And then in the sixth inning, just an incredible diving one-hop stop, diving to his right, getting up, and throwing a laser across the diamond in the air to Mountcastle to get a huge out on Ahmed Rosario to lead off the bottom of the sixth inning. I mean, he made some Jorge Mateo-esque plays with a better throwing arm at shortstop on Thursday night. It was really impressive to watch. Two games in, and this guy is already dazzling us in the middle of the O's order and in the middle of the O's infield. Fourth thing you need to know from this 3-0 Oriole win, let's flip it to the pitching side. Kyle Bradish is a completely changed man. After throwing an absolutely dominant eight scoreless innings on Friday night in Houston, Kyle Bradish turns it around and, well, didn't go quite as long, but how about seven scoreless innings in Cleveland in this one? Bradish goes seven scoreless, allowing just two hits after he'd allowed just the two hits Friday night as well. Five strikeouts and three walks for Bradish. Took him just 94 pitches to get through the seven innings. Avoided any hard contact basically at all. Only three hard hit balls against him in the seven scoreless. Lowered his ERA to 5.17 now on the season. And if this is the Kyle Bradish we're going to get moving forward, things are going to be really, really good for the Orioles. And now, he did not pitch exactly the same way that he pitched on Friday. If you remember Friday in Houston, 
He threw 52% sliders. He was basically going breaking balls all day. That wasn't quite the case on Thursday. The four-seam fastball was still his most used pitch. He threw 42 four-seamers out of 94 pitches. That was 45%. However, if you combine his 32 sliders and his 14 curveballs, he did throw more breaking balls, 46, than he threw fastballs at 42. I will take that. I would still like to see more sliders than fastballs overall. But at the very least, I'd like to see the breaking balls combined for more than the fastballs. And that is what Bradish did. And he got nine whiffs on 42 swings. Not an incredible number. But six of the nine whiffs came on the slider. The other three came on the fastball, which is big for him. And here was the huge thing. The fastball command was pretty pinpoint. It was some of the best fastball command we've seen in Kyle Bradish's career. He got 11 called strikes on that four-seam fastball, just was peppering the zone with that pitch, and then was able to do a lot of things with his slider. And yeah, you know, he tossed in six change-ups as well, but he was basically fastball slider curveball on Thursday night. And again, the Cleveland offense is nowhere near what the Houston offense is, but he just dominated both of them in back-to-back starts. And he continues to be a huge weapon for the Orioles' rotation. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one is that Jesus Aguilar made his Orioles debut on Thursday. We'll talk about in a sec how the Orioles activated him with the roster expansion on Thursday. And he got the start DHing for the Orioles and hitting sixth. And it wasn't a great day. He went 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. Didn't exactly look amazing at the plate. But This is what we talked about. If you haven't listened to Thursday's episode yet, go back and listen to it after the Orioles signed Aguilar to a minor league deal on Wednesday, put him on the taxi squad. Of course, he was activated Thursday. And I broke down on Thursday's episode, you know, why Aguilar was a free agent, why he had been released by the Miami Marlins last week, because he is in the middle of his worst ever offensive season at age 32. He's had some good years with the Brewers and with the Marlins, but just wasn't hitting, especially had been absolutely terrible since the All-Star break in Miami, and that's why they released him to get some younger guys some at-bats as their team has kind of fallen apart here down the stretch. But he's had success in the past. He's got some home run power. And the other thing that Aguilar does, I don't expect him to be in the lineup every single day. I think the O's just wanted to get him in there after signing him. But what he does is, you know, he's been on a pennant race team with the Brewers. Heck, even in 2020, remember the Marlins made the postseason in the expanded field. He was on that team as well. He's been around postseason teams. And he's a veteran guy, veteran leader, been in the big since 2014, 32 years old, one of the older guys on the ball club. And he's always been a guy, you know, we talk about Rugnet Odor and Robinson Chirinos and kind of the, despite their rough play at times, the good vibes and the leadership they bring to the Orioles clubhouse. Aguilar, at the very least, is another guy who does that. And to be honest with you, from what we've seen from Odor and Chirinos at the plate this year, although shout out to Rugnet Odor, he, uh, he did have a two-hit game on Thursday night, get another start. But Aguilar has the track record, and honestly this year, of being a better hitter than those two guys. So maybe he brings even more on the field with bringing a lot off the field for the Orioles. Again, I don't think we see him every day, but he did make his Orioles debut. But speaking of Jesus Aguilar, we're going to talk a little bit more about him coming up because he and D.L. Hall were added to the Orioles roster on Thursday with the roster expansion. We'll talk about why it was those two guys for the Orioles, what other roster move they had to make to clear up space, and how these two guys, Aguilar and Hall, could help the Orioles in this playoff push. But first, let's talk about this. 
Are you one of those people who thinks it's okay to drive stoned? What's the worst that can happen? You end up driving below the speed limit? It's no big deal, right? Wrong. The truth is, your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone around you. Talk about a buzzkill. So stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. So the Orioles get the big W to take the series on Thursday night with a 3-0 win over the Guardians. Of course, we just talked about Jesus Aguilar making his Orioles debut in that game. D.L. Hall did not appear in the game, but those two guys were added to the Orioles roster because September 1st is roster expansion day in Major League Baseball. Now, if you think back to 2019 and before then, Roster Expansion Day used to be crazy. You used to be able to carry 25 guys throughout the season, and then as soon as you hit September 1st, you could theoretically call up your entire 40-man roster. That's right. You could have up to 40 players active for a game in the month of September. Buck Showalter, when he was Orioles manager, used to complain and complain about this, how September baseball with the 40 you know available players was just a completely different game. Well, I was totally behind Major League Baseball changing that rule, and that's what they did. So one thing they did was add the extra roster spot during the season. Obviously, teams carry 26 players now, and now you can only add two extra players to the roster in September. So rosters expand from 26 to 28 players starting on September 1st, so you get those two extra spots. And generally, you can only carry 14 pitchers, so it's basically one extra pitcher and one extra position player that you can add to the roster. And now... When we heard on Tuesday night that Gunnar Henderson and D.L. Hall were joining the Orioles taxi squad, we kind of figured that they would be the two roster expansion additions. But the Orioles ended up activating Henderson a day early on Wednesday, optioning Tyler Nevin. So we still knew D.L. Hall was going to be the addition Thursday. Then we weren't sure, well, who would be the hitter? Well, then the Orioles signed Jesus Aguilar to a minor league deal and put him on the taxi squad. And we pretty much knew since couple days ago that it was going to be Aguilar and Hall, and the Orioles made that official with the roster move, adding both of them to the roster on Thursday morning. So for Jesus Aguilar, we just kind of talked about him. He's a veteran, can play some first base, DH, you know, not having a great offensive year, but he's had good numbers in the past, can hit for some power, brings a veteran presence, been in a pennant chase before, brings very, very good vibes, he's a great teammate. Most players who have played with him have loved him in the past, you know, in Milwaukee and Miami. And, you know, I talked about on Thursday's episode, kind of diving into more his offensive struggles. Make sure to go listen to the final segment of Thursday's episode of the podcast to get more on Aguilar. But again, he's not going to play every day, but he's going to be there. And I think he'll help the Orioles from time to time. And at the very least, it's the second true first baseman to have on the roster behind Mount Castle, especially now with Tyler Nevin back in AAA. If anything does happen to Mount Castle or he just needs a day off, you can pretty comfortably put Jesus Aguilar at first base. But obviously, the even bigger name is that D.L. Hall is back with the Orioles activated, and he will be pitching out of the bullpen throughout September. Now, earlier in August, obviously, the Orioles did call up D.L. Hall to make his major league debut in Tampa Bay, got the start, and it was up and down, you know, three and two-thirds innings, five runs, five hits, six strikeouts, and three walks for Hall in that one. And then, kind of surprisingly, they immediately sent him right back down to AAA after that start. And Mike Elias said that they wanted to move him to the bullpen exclusively for the rest of the season, which I was on board with. But they wanted to have him make the transition to being a reliever in AAA instead of just staying with the big league ball club and doing it in the big. So 
Hall went down to AAA, and he made four relief appearances for the Norfolk Tides. In six and two-thirds innings, he allowed three runs on two hits with 11 strikeouts and five walks. The command was a little off at times, but generally, I think the Orioles were pretty pleased with what they saw, and he really ended strong on Tuesday in Norfolk, inning in a third scoreless, no hits, a strikeout, and a walk to close out a Tides win on Tuesday night after Bruce Zimmerman, shout out to him, had thrown seven and two-thirds scoreless with eight strikeouts, so... Watch out for him as well. But uh, I think the O's were pleased with that, ready to bring him up into the bullpen. And now he is here. Now, it sounded like he probably wasn't going to pitch in any situation Thursday. But Hall told the media when he was out of the taxi squad he would be ready by Friday, by today, to pitch out of the bullpen. So we could see D.L. Hall out of the pen tonight at Camden Yards against the Athletics. And, you know, talking about his role and what it's going to be coming out of the Oriole bullpen moving forward, I don't think that D.L. Hall tonight is going to get the ninth inning. For example, if Felix Bautista is not available, you know, he, he did pitch Wednesday and Thursday. Now, let's be honest, he threw six pitches Wednesday, 17 pitches Thursday. I think if there's a safe situation, he could be available Friday. But if he's not, it's not like the O's are going to turn to D.L. Hall. You know, they're going to give that spot to Dylan Tate or CNL Perez. But I don't think D.L. Hall is just going to only come in if the O's are up 12-1 to 1 in the sixth and, you know, he'll pitch a couple innings Friday night. I don't think he's going to be thrown right into the eighth or ninth innings, but the O's could work him towards more high leverage spots. So I think this is kind of a perfect series coming up this weekend for D.L. Hall to be added to the bullpen. Theoretically, the Orioles are playing one of the worst teams in baseball in the Oakland Athletics. And although the O's have struggled offensively and they haven't had a lot of blowout wins this year, you would think there could be a chance for the O's to maybe get at least one blowout victory in what would hopefully be a sweep over the A's in this series. And if that is the case, it kind of becomes the perfect spot to get Hall into the game. You know, maybe you get six-ish innings from Dean Kramer. Maybe you're up seven to two. And you can go to D.L. Hall to pitch the seventh, just kind of give him a clean inning. You got a five-run lead and get him out of there and just see how that feels for him. Then you can move forward. Maybe you plan out innings where he's facing more left-handers. Maybe you have spots where, you know, maybe a Spencer Watkins on Sunday is struggling to get out of the fifth, but it's a close game. Maybe you bring in Hall to finish the fifth and then finish out the sixth. You know, he could go up to two innings, maybe more, in relief if the Orioles need him. But again, they're not calling him up to put him in the eighth and ninth in a one-run game. They're going to ease him in a bit. But what's going to help is, again, a guy like Rico Garcia, he's still kind of the mop-up guy on this staff. He's still on the roster. But you're going to have a little better version, well, a lot better version of that. But now you're going to have D.L. Hall. So you can go to that last spot in the bullpen. I don't think Brandon Hyde is going to Rico Garcia in anything that resembles a close game right now. But if D.L. Hall is your last reliever that you can still, quote, go to, that's a much better spot than Rico Garcia. And I do think moving forward, when Tyler Wells comes back, he's going to make a rehab start in Aberdeen tonight. I think the O's will put him in the bullpen. He'll probably replace Rico Garcia on the roster. You'll have another weapon that can go multiple innings. And the O's will kind of continue to have those kind of weapons like Hall. And it's going to be just fun. I think it's going to be really fun to watch him out of the bullpen. I don't care about the walks of the command or whatever. It's going to be less of an issue out of the pen. He's going to be throwing 99 with a wicked slider. I can't wait to see him out of the pen. I'll be at the game Saturday night. I'm hoping he debuts in that one, and I get to see it up close, or at least debuts out of the Oriole pen, but it should be fun. But the O's did have to make 
another roster move to get these guys on the roster. Now, D.L. Hall was easy. He was already on the 40-man. You just add him as the, you know, one of the additional players. But Jesus Aguilar was not on the 40-man roster. The O's had a full 40-man, so they had to make a move. And they ended up DFAing Richie Martin, who was in AAA, to clear up space for Aguilar. Now, I had talked about how Richie Martin was probably one of the probable names that could get DFA'd to make room for Aguilar, and that is what happened. Martin, he played 13 games in the big leagues with the Orioles this year, 33 plate appearances. He was 5 for 30. That's a 167 average. A couple of triples, three RBIs, 10 Ks to three walks. Didn't do much with the O's this year. And really in AAA, there were struggles as well. He had just shy of, of 300 plate appearances in 65 games with the Norfolk Tides. Hit 244 with a 338 on base, 360 slugging, just one home run. Did have 17 doubles. Did steal 20 out of 24 bases, but a 91 WRC plus means he was 9% worse than the league average AAA hitter this year. There's just too many infielders, obviously, with all the infielders the O's have at the major league level. Plus, you know, obviously guys like Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz, both at AAA. They've both overpassed Martin. I mean, there's a situation where you could see even Kelvin Gutierrez being above Martin, although Martin kind of has gotten called up before Gutierrez. But there's just too many infielders above Richie Martin. If he clears waivers, which he did do last offseason when the Orioles outrighted him, he could return to the O's in AAA, but... Because he's already been outrighted, Richie Martin can choose, if he goes unclaimed, to just become a free agent. It's probable that if he goes unclaimed, he'll probably choose free agency just because he knows there's not really a path to the big leagues in Baltimore anymore. He'll try to sign on to a minor league contract, get in AAA with another ball club, and try and get himself to the big leagues that way. But we wish Richie Martin, of course, all the best. But speaking of minor league baseball, I took in some minor league baseball on Thursday night as Grayson Rodriguez made his first rehab start in Aberdeen with the Ironbirds. Talk about how he looked in his brief stint and a couple of other guys that stood out in Aberdeen on Thursday night. So as we continue to get all of this great news with Gunnar Henderson excelling at the big league level and, you know, prospects still getting ready to come up, D.L. Hall is here. There's another big name that was back on the field on Thursday night, and that was Grayson Rodriguez, the number one pitching prospect in all of baseball, who has been out since June 1st with a lat strain that he suffered late in a start in Norfolk. Seemed like he was pretty close to getting to the big leagues, was dominating AAA. Felt a cramp in his back, came out of the game in the sixth inning, ended up being a grade two lat strain, and he missed three months on the dot from June 1st until returning to the mound September 1st last night in Aberdeen, making his first rehab start for the Ironbirds, and I decided to take a trip up to Aberdeen and see for myself. Now, didn't get to see a lot of Gray Rod on Thursday, and it seemed like the Orioles had him on a pretty tight pitch count for his first start back on a field. And what we saw was an inning and a third from Rodriguez, one hit, no runs, a strikeout, and two walks. He threw 31 pitches, 17 for strikes. He, I think, purposefully mixed all of his pitches. We threw, you know, we saw four to five different offerings from Gray Rod. The fastball on the Aberdeen gun kind of sat 95, 96. He topped out at 98 in that first inning. And, you know, the fastball command looked solid. The off-speed command was a little rough. Uh, that's why he walked two hitters. He did allow a couple of hard hit balls, including a single in the first inning, but got out of it. 
Uh, and then in the second inning, after a ground out, he walked back-to-back batters on three two pitches, and Roberto Mercado, the Aberdeen manager, came in and took him out. The trainer did not go out there. It was nothing injury-related. He had hit 31 pitches, so it kind of seems like the Orioles had kind of a 30-pitch number on him. We're probably hoping for him to get through two clean innings and then come out of the game. But once you walk back-to-back guys in that spot, you don't want to keep impounding you know, more high-stress pitches on him, so you just take him out of the game. But I thought... He looked healthy. I thought the delivery looked good. Again, his command was a little rusty, but the fastball velocity was really good, and the fastball command was good. And at the end of the day, I will take that any day of the week that he's healthy. Maybe he pitches another game in Aberdeen, but I would think he probably goes to Bowie for a couple of rehab starts before getting to Norfolk. And then, you know, you hope we got just over a month left in this regular season for the Orioles. And Grayson Rodriguez... Top pitching prospect in baseball. Seemed like he was pretty much big league ready back in May. Could he be a guy who's added to the Orioles roster? I mean, he would make them better easily. Pitching out of that rotation, pitching out of the bullpen, whatever it may be. And we're still a long ways away. You know, he just threw 31 pitches in his first rehab start. So I would think at the very earliest, I mean, he pitches once to twice a week over the next couple of weeks. I mean, you're looking at still another two weeks, probably three weeks before he would come back and be big league ready to go. I mean, he's going to pitch some in AAA as well before he would get to the big leagues. But if we're looking three weeks from now, you know, September 23rd-ish, that weekend series, maybe the week after that, you still got a couple of weeks left in the regular season. If you can get Grayson Rodriguez still to the big leagues at that point, and you're still in this wild card race, which I expect the Orioles to be at that point, get him in the big leagues. As long as he's healthy and ready to go, if he can start a game for you, nothing against Spencer Watkins. He's been amazing. But Grayson Rodriguez gives you an even better chance to win. The stuff is just too good. Or maybe you just bring him up, put him in the bullpen, and use him in a couple of spots and see what you can do. Just having him on the roster would make the Orioles better. And I hope the rehab can get him to that point. He obviously talked about this week how much he wants to be at Camden Yards this year. And I just really hope it can happen. I think the timeline will let it happen. It'll just be up to Mike Elias and the Orioles if they want to put him for those last couple of weeks in the regular season in Baltimore to try to get this team into the postseason. But, of course, with him pitching just an inning and a third, I did get to see some other guys in Aberdeen. It was my first time seeing the Ironbirds live this year. And a couple guys impressed me. First, Ramon Rodriguez, who was catching Rodriguez, was catching Grayson Rodriguez in this one. Pretty impressed by him. You know, he, he received the ball well behind home plate. He threw out two runners, threw out a guy stealing second in the first inning, threw out somebody trying to steal third in the second inning, kind of helped Grayson Rodriguez out in those two innings as well. And then he got a base knock in his first AB. Again, he's going to be a defense first catcher. Don't know how high he can get up in the system, but he seemed to have one of his better games of the year uh, with me in the ballpark. I was impressed. Uh, did get to see Dante Williams crush a ball off the wall for a triple. Williams actually had two triples in this game. Judd Fabian had himself an RBI single, just got called up to Aberdeen. Uh, we saw Isaac DeLeon crush a ball to center field. That would have been a home run in pretty much any other minor league ballpark. Ended up be a fly out to the wall in dead center, but he crushed a baseball. And then really the pitcher that was most impressive Thursday night, Peter Van Loon was kind of the quote unquote, bulk pitcher after Grayson Rodriguez in this game. And Van Loon, five innings, one hit, two runs, five Ks and four walks. His command eluded him a little bit in the sixth inning. But other than that, I mean, the stuff was really good. Van Loon's first inning of work when he came in in the third, 
just boom, 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 strikeouts. I mean, the Hickory Crawdads hitters were not even close to Van Loon. Of course, the Orioles drafted the right-hander back in 2021. Uh, he's had some good stuff. He's been having a really good season. I was really impressed. 94-95 on the fastball. The off-speed stuff was good. He had a really, really impressive outing and just another one of these kind of lower-level pitching prospects that the Orioles have that are uh, developing very well in the low minor leagues and hoping to help this O's team a couple years down the road. But the O's, big week. Big week after a just a nothing performance on Tuesday to come back and beat this Guardians team in back-to-back games was just so, so impressive. The back-to-back shutouts to win a series against a good baseball team. O's just a game and a half out of the wild card. And now, for just a second, Things do get a little easier. The Orioles, who do play the toughest schedule out of any of these wildcard teams down the stretch, get a little bit of a break this weekend. They have to take advantage of this. The Oakland Athletics, who tore down their roster completely this offseason and then tore it down even more at the trade deadline, are coming into Baltimore for a three-game series. I'll be in the ballpark Saturday. Hopefully, we see Gunnar Henderson's home debut tonight on Friday. But I'm going to be frank about this. At the very least, the O's have to win the series, two of three. Anything other than that is kind of a disaster. And to be honest, if you're serious about getting in the postseason against all these good teams, you need to sweep the Oakland Athletics this weekend. Plain and simple, the O's need to win three out of three games this weekend. So hopefully, when we return together on Monday, I'll be talking about an Orioles sweep, and maybe if they get a little help, we'll be talking about the Orioles sitting in wildcard playoff position with a huge four-game series against Toronto coming up next week. But again, I'll be back Monday to recap the weekend series between the O's and the A's. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.